Hey, just a quick note to let you know that in this episode, for the first like 15 minutes, there's a weird scratching sound uh, coming from one side of the conversation. And I'm sorry about that. There's nothing I could do to remove it. Uh, we figured it out right, at some point in the interview, but the interview is too good to not air. So deal with it. All of these things that you give to others, wouldn't it be amazing if you could lavish them, shower them upon yourself and allow yourself to receive them? So beautiful. Hey everyone, today we're talking about codependency and I'm super grateful that Ivy Kwong is here to sort of help us figure out what is codependency, why does it show up, and what we can do to recover from it. And Ivy is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's a bit of an expert on self-love and recovering from codependency. Ivy goes by Bear Ivy on the internet, B-A- R-E-I-V-Y, sort of like bear your soul. And that's exactly what she does in this episode. She shares with us a bit about her family history and how growing up in sort of a strict household where emotions weren't ever really displayed other than anger has affected her in her future relationships and how codependent behavior has shown up for her in her life. We talk about anti-dependence. We talk about the signs that you might be in a codependent relationship or that you might have codependency issues. But we also talk about what you can do to recover from codependence and to start prioritizing yourself. You know, codependents often uh, find themselves in one-way relationships where they end up doing more and giving more and worrying about other people's needs over their own needs. And so we're going to touch on what it looks like to turn that focus or that spotlight onto ourselves and to start figuring out, what do I want in life? What do I need in relationships? How do I want people to show up for me rather than how can I show up for people? And of course, we talk about boundaries and This is just a small note to let you know that we will be talking about boundaries and intimacy and cultivating self-love and forming healthy relationships on future episodes of The Love Drive. That's what we're doing. We are putting love into words, we are cultivating love, and we are building intimacy. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. Could you please introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Ivy Kwong. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and relationship coach specializing in self-love and recovery from codependency. What is your experience with codependency? Mm, all right. Well, we're just getting right to it then. As, as with many people, it started very young. I grew up in a household that uh, where my parents were very much into the whole conditional love thing. I mean, that's all they'd ever known. So that's all they knew how to do. Um, It was very performance-based love. It was very obedience-based love. If you listened to us, if you obeyed us, if you did what we said, if you did things the right way, if you did things perfectly, then you would receive and be worthy of love and care and protection. And if you did not, then you weren't. Then there was 
you know, emotional abuse, physical abuse, uh, violence. So there's a lot of walking on eggshells. Um, always that feeling of, okay, I don't want to piss anyone off. And there's also the development of a skill that basically became chameleoning, where I have to be whatever my parents want me to be to keep myself safe and being very hyper aware of what their attitudes and energies and moods would be when they were coming home from work. It was always uh, a state of hyper awareness and hyper vigilance, you know, unknowingly at that age, trying to keep myself safe by becoming whatever it was that the people around it, around me needed me to be, which is often the origins of codependency. That doesn't sound like something that a child should have to do, like be hyper vigilant of what's happening in the family dynamic as a kid. Yeah. Ideally, that is not the case, unfortunately, for um, many families, many children, and and in my own experience, there was a a recognition that my caregivers were there, but that I wasn't necessarily seen or safe around them. Instinctively, we just try and keep ourselves alive. And so very early on, I developed a lot of very interesting skills to help keep me alive. But as I started getting older, the skills ended up uh, harming me more than helping me. Like with many coping skills, they work and so they stop working. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my experience with drugs and alcohol. Mm. Worked for a really long time and then it stopped working. Exactly. And and then you're you're sort of faced with, okay, let's remove this now and see what's left. Right. Turns out lots of lots of feelings. Oftentimes I think about how so many of us live so much of our lives running away from avoiding or trying to suppress really hard, really scary, really painful feelings. And sometimes we spend years and years of pain and suffering and self-sabotage and self-abuse, just trying to avoid like five minutes of deep, deep, deep pain, you know, of, of fear, of sadness, of grief, of anger. And it's like, wow, huh. All right. So these feelings are a thing, but when we're not taught how to cope with them and we, when we're you know, younger, we feel like these feelings are going to kill us. We, we hold on to that fear that if we feel really deep anger, really deep sadness, really deep grief, this will literally kill us. So instead we try and avoid it again with behaviors, drugs, substances, and um, become more and more disconnected from ourselves and, and, and our feelings. Are there families that like teach uh, healthy coping mechanisms and like if they weren't taught how to love, then how do they teach how to love? Right. So everything's passed on from generation to generation. Everyone at any point in their lives is genuinely doing their best. You know, I think about my my parents and where they came from. My, my father's mother um, was the third wife of three wives and she was really strict and really mean and really um, physically abusive to my father because she was just trying to keep them alive. And it was hard. And she'd never been shown kindness and tenderness. So she couldn't possibly have known how to have given that to him. And I saw, I saw, I watched them interact. I remember when I was little, my grandmother came to visit us once from Hong Kong. And um, we were in Michigan at the time. I saw my dad, you know, as a grown man, still afraid and yet still part of him desperately hoping for some sort of like kindness or affection or love and and just never getting that and my grandmother actually um died of alcoholism uh there was obviously a lot there 
And so my father, I look at him, I'm like, yes, he was a rageaholic. Yes, he was always angry. The only emotion he knew how to express safely was anger. I've observed my work. That's how it is for a lot of men. Like, okay, grief is anger. You know, sadness and anger. Fear is anger. Like, anger is safe and appropriate for men to show. I know that was certainly the case for my father. But there are other emotions in other ways. But if we don't learn them, how could we possibly know them? They're doing the best they can with what they have. Absolutely. And sometimes the best is kind of crappy. For a long time, I was really angry at my parents. I'm like, fuck you guys. You guys fucked up so many times along the way. How come I didn't have love, care, protection, kindness, compassion, forgiveness? Like, I didn't get any of this stuff as a child. And so I was angry. And for a long time, there was a lot of rebellion. There was a lot of acting out. There was a lot of like, well, I'm going to hurt me to hurt you. Like, that's ever worked. And at the end of the day, it's like I moved through this point where, okay, they were trying their best. Like, this was their best. My father barely had, you know, he, he didn't have food at times. They, they struggled making the rent sometimes. And he provided us with food on the table and a shelter over our heads. And that was better than his mother was ever able to give to him. And so it's like, this is how he has known love. And this is how he's trying his best to show love. And at some point, I can keep fighting it and criticizing it and judging it and condemning it. Or I can go into a place of surrender about what is, accept it, and then possibly even reach a place of gratitude for it. Yeah. But there can be growth there if you focus and allow and open yourself to the possibilities of that. How has codependent behavior shown up for you in your adult life? Mm -hmm. My codependent behavior started, started young. Every friendship and every romantic relationship I ever had became me desperately needing to be needed in the relationship. There was very much a turning into a people pleaser, a serial people pleaser, where I no lo- I dissolved. I no longer had needs. Whatever you wanted and needed me to be, that, that would be what I was. In romantic relationships, this became completely mirroring whatever the other person wanted, liked, and was. Whatever you want me to be, I will be, so you will please love and accept me. And again, at the very core, it's like survival. Like, don't abandon me. Don't reject me. Look at how useful I can be. Look at how much how nice I can be. Look at how much I can enjoy the same things you like. It was to the point where I didn't really have an identity. I would just kind of be a mirror of whatever my, my partner was, whatever my friends were. To a certain degree, it's like, okay, I want to belong to a group. But it was to the point where I didn't have a sense of who I was at all. And in, in romantic relationships, this, show, this showed up a lot in looking outside of myself for validation. Mm. If you thought I was pretty, if you want to sleep with me, if you wanted me, then that would mean I was worthy and valuable. And that would mean that like, I would let other people determine my worthiness, my value. So it sounds like that's one way that codependency came up for you in your life. And as I'm working through what's happening for me in my life with my therapist, who I adore and who I've been seeing for over a year now, and I'm just really so grateful for our relationship. Mm-hmm. Something that came up recently is that, you know, I, I sort of prided myself on being independent mm-hmm. because in 
in my family, it wasn't really safe for me to express my feelings and my emotions. I've always been sort of a super expressive, super feeling type of person, cried a lot, had a lot of like tantrums. Because of that, I've sort of developed maybe this like really strong sense of independence. Oh, I'm going to take care of myself. I'll, I'll, I'll handle it myself because I can't really trust other people. And she goes, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> she goes, yeah, independence or anti-dependence. And I was like, whoa, yeah. wow, what is that? Mm, anti-dependence. When you said, I take care of myself because I don't trust other people to do so, that would be anti-dependence. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a fucking thing. Yeah. And people yeah. will talk about anti or counter-dependence. They, can't, they talk about codependence. Mm-hmm. So I swung the other way. Yeah. And, and that's actually an element because there are different types of codependency. And one type is the control type which is exactly what you described. If you are a control type of codependent, this means that you can do everything for everyone, but that you will not let anyone do anything for you. I mean, this came up. I was, I've been, I had a couple really amazing dates with this new woman that I would like to be seeing more. And mm-hmm. I like changed the sheets and she came to help me. And I go, no, it's cool. I got it. I've been doing this for 20 years alone. And she goes, okay, that's fine. Just offering mm-hmm. to help. Wow. And I realized how like petty it was. Well, yes, you have been doing it for 20 years. And yes, you're very good at putting on your own sheets. And yes, there is an extraordinary woman who would like to co-create this making of a bed with you, who would like to do it with you so you don't have to do it entirely alone. That's actually really sweet. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Super allowing cool. yourself to receive that. You know, something, how we do one thing is how we do many things in our lives. Mm. And so allowing someone to help you pull down the opposite sides of the bed sheet over the mattress. So you don't need to struggle with it running back and forth by yourself. Like being able to receive that will allow you to receive more and more and more things moving forward in love and in life. If I have another chance, I'll let her help me make the bed. Or this is just an invitation. You could ask her for help. I could. Here's the thing, though. I don't really have a hard time asking people for help. Mm, Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But I think it's in intimate relationships. I don't mind asking my friends. That's fine. The, the dynamic and intimate love or romantic relationships is where some of our deepest stuff comes up. And maybe for you, that could be, I want to be the one that can handle everything, do everything, and not need anything from you. Yeah. Hmm. I guess before we move on to like how we can build healthier self-love practices, how we can develop more intimacy and how we can be more vulnerable in relationship, which I think are all kind of ways that we can move away from codependent behavior. I want to know like, what are some signs that we might be engaged in codependent behavior or codependent relationship? So I'll give you a couple very clear signs. One is that you're tired all the time. If you are exhausted, if you are tired, if you have consistently low levels of energy, then your adrenals are struggling and suffering and you are giving way more than you are receiving. 
So this is a huge sign like, wait, what is happening in my life? Where is my energy going? How am I spending my days and who am I spending my time with? Because how we move, how we interact and who we spend time with can nourish and energize and enliven us or can exhaust us. So how are your energy levels most days and in the moment? So paying attention to that, paying attention to if you have a difficult time with decision-making from what to eat, from what to wear, from where you want to go. If you're always like, oh, I don't, it doesn't matter, whatever you want, or what do you want? Like that can be another sign. Just like, ah, what do you actually want? And this will continue on when we talk into what we can do to address codependency. I would say another sign is, I mean, for the control type, not being able to receive, turning people down when they offer to help. And if you're feeling resentful, if you're feeling frustrated, if you're feeling really angry a lot and you either don't know why or it's projected at your partner, what's going on there? There's something that's going on with boundaries that you're not recognizing and setting for yourself and for the other or something's happening. Those are just a couple light kind of things that you can just take a look at. And also if you've been maybe engaged four times and married once, we can talk <laughs> because maybe there's something there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like how much time are you spending on social media? Do you care? Does it affect your mood depending on how many likes or views you're getting? Pay attention to that. I have a complicated relationship with social media. I'm not really affected by the amount of likes mm-hmm. and, and comments, but I do check it sort of. Mm pretty addictively there is such thing as social media addiction right. oh, so whoa. Just noticing the level <laughs> noticing the level of engagement and whether it's causing more like anxiety or joy or we feel like com- a compulsive need to roll over and check it the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning or the last thing before you go to bed like how are you bookending your days yeah so i have a new practice i know you weren't asking the question but i'm going to answer it anyways uh, of no internet between the hours of 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. Good for you. Wow. So that means Fantastic. that at, at 8, the phone is... I mean, I have to leave it on because I use it as an alarm, but I should probably just get an alarm. But they don't make... <laughs> also a solution. Yeah, they don't make alarms with like a really nice, gentle wake-up <laughs> tone that isn't prohibitively expensive and like another thing that I need to buy. But from eight to eight, no internet. So that means that I'm just like winding down. I'm watching, or I'm not, sorry, I'm reading uh, on my Kindle or I'm reading books. I'm not watching any shows, um, but I can text. If I have to text somebody, I can still text them. Okay. All right. No, that's great. And then I get up at seven. So I have a whole hour of no internet and I go for a walk with my dog. But then <laughs> it's. <laughs> and then it's long. Yeah. Then it's unthrottled. It's unthrottled. Uh, it's, no holds barred. <laughs> yeah. A lot of Instagram DMs. It's a lot of DMs. Okay. But okay. it's part of the work. So it's hard to like separate. Right. Especially if it's part of your business and part of your brand and it's something that you need to do. Just, just being mindful of it. And, and trusting yourself to notice, does it feel draining? Is your energy down? Or are you like on fire? I oftentimes also, I've been starting this practice of leaving my phone at home for portions of the day. Love that. Yeah. I love that. I think everyone should try that for, for different periods on different days. Literally not a big deal. 
I met somebody yesterday at the bike shop that I work at, and uh, we made plans to play hockey. And I go, oh, uh, please take my number down. I don't have my phone on me. That's there you go. Yeah. Just like that. There are old school ways. There are these things like paper and pencil and other people will have a phone. So you'll, you're going to be okay. Hey, can you look this thing up? I don't have my phone on me. <laughs> yeah, surprise. <laughs> the people will because they love to use And their it'll phones. be good practice asking other people for some help. Well, you don't have a problem with that. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I actually ask quite a bit of my friends, mm. like a lot. And I and sometimes I say, hey, I realize that I, I ask probably more than most. And I want you to feel okay to say no at any point. But I will not like throttle my demand my my requests until I hear something from you. Mm, great. Because I live in Montreal now and all my friends are in California. When I come visit, I I like ask to borrow cars. I ask to sleep on couches. Like I I ask for people to make me dinner and and like I trust that they will say no if they have to say no. And if they can't, that's not on me. Also true. If they're feeling drained and exhausted afterwards, that's something that they need to look at. <laughs> I don't want to rob them of their, you know, their work. Yes, their autonomy and their choice. That's very generous of you, Sean. Very gracious. <laughs> <laughs> so how can we begin recovering from codependency for some people who who might have that in their life? I'm going to give just like maybe three or four concrete things that you can start doing now today to start freeing yourself from the bondage of codependency. So one thing is get to know yourself, like take yourself out on dates, journal, like what are things that resonate most with you to get you to start enjoying, appreciating, and recognizing like the beauty in time with yourself. And so the second part of this is feeling what you feel, like noticing what you feel and allowing yourself those feelings instead of trying to numb them. So if I'm out at a restaurant eating by myself and I start to feel a little embarrassed or a little lonely or a little sad, just like noticing that and feeling it, you know, generally feelings take about 45 seconds to fully move through our bodies. So if we can sit with that feeling and breathe with it for like 45 seconds, odds are it's going to move. And so letting yourself feel what you feel and starting to reconnect with, with those feelings, recognizing like you're not going to die of loneliness sitting by yourself at lunch right now because you're going to make it through. It's going to be okay. Like breathe through it. And again, learning what you like. This can be in the form of journaling, like writing letters to yourself, checking in with yourself. Like how do I feel? What am I doing? What do I need right now? And really starting to connect with that because for some people, I know myself included, it was a completely foreign experience asking myself what I needed. Like, what do I want? Not what's the, what does someone else want? What would make them happy? But what do I need right now? Sometimes the answer is rest. Sometimes the answer is a glass of water. Sometimes the answer is just to be in a quiet place for a little bit, but giving and allowing yourself that. So number one, getting to know yourself. The second thing that I would recommend anyone who's struggling with codependency try is boundaries are what keep us intact. Boundaries are what separate us from the rest of the world and also keep us connected. And so in codependency, there can be very unhealthy boundaries where you either have none, like I'll do anything for everyone. It's not a problem because I want to be liked. Or it can be really rigid boundaries. 
I have to have things this way and this way and this way. And you need to do things like this and this and this, because I know what's best for you. And I can't accept any help. So all of, all of these extremes and everything in between are possible. So what you want are boundaries where you can know and be willing to say no when your body is telling you it's a no. If someone's like, hey, do you mind helping me move this Sunday? You know, like I've got a lot of stuff. I could really use your help. And you've got a lot of stuff you need to get done on Sunday. Like listen to your body. Don't immediately be like, yeah, no problem. I totally got you. Check in with your body. And if your body's like light and relaxed and open, then that could be a yes. But if any part of your body tenses or tightens or cringes or feels heavy, that's your body letting you know it's a no. And you have the choice at that point to say yes or to say no. But the more you notice your body and pay attention to your body and listen to your body and say a no when it's a no, the more you'll be able to stay in the center of yourself and not exhaust and drain yourself. So, and you're right, no is a complete sentence and you can also stay connected by saying no. Like, I love you and no. No, sorry, I can't help. I'm not available. Yeah. Not, not no and or no but or no. You know, a lot of times, like you said, we feel like we have to justify our no. No, I can't because because of X, Y, and Z. It's like no, no is no is enough. And anyone who is worth being in your life, anyone who loves you, respects you, cares about you, and supports you, taking care of yourself, will respect your no. Whether it's a no in bed, whether it's a no for a favor, whether it's a no, like I know if any of my friends or family are like no, I'd be like. Thank you for taking care of yourself. Like that's only a response to a no. Thank you for taking care of yourself. Thank you for letting me know. Thank you for letting me know. That's yeah. another another great response. I really appreciate the fact that you just mentioned if these people love you, they will respect your no. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I imagine that it's very hard for some people to say no, but if they understand that those that will that will respect that are people worth keeping around. Absolutely. And just to caution you, if you have been a certain, if you're always a yes person, if you've always been the yes person and everyone's used to you being the yes person in your family, when you start to say no, it might come as a shock to people. Like, wait a second. You're the one that always says yes. They're like, wait a second. I thought I could depend on you. You're the one I can always depend on. So there might be a little bit of like pushback first because as you in a puzzle, as you're, if you're a piece of a puzzle and you start changing, other people will be like, oh, this is a little uncomfortable. Why are you changing? But the people who love you will kind of change to support you and stay close to and connected with you. So there'll be there might be a little bit of adjustment period, but at the end of the day, like they will love you and respect you and and you can start small, but really listen to your body and pay attention and go from there. Those that matter don't mind, and those that mind don't matter. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, my little lovebirds? Uh, Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and I'm not a huge fan of Valentine's Day, but I am a huge fan of love. So I'm working on a Valentine's Day episode, and I invite you to share with me and with Love Drive listeners a love note that you have received, or a love letter, or 
I love email most probably. And I invite you to call my voicemail number 626-539-4993 and leave a voicemail of you reading this love letter. Alternatively, you can also send me an email, sean at thelovedrive.com. That's S-H-A-U-N at thelovedrive.com and like attach an audio file. So I invite you to share your love letters with me and with the Love Drive listeners. And that's it. Let's get back to the episode. We're talking to Ivy Kwong, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist relationship coach specializing in self-love and recovering from codependency. One of my favorite uh, self-love, you know, date myself practices is a massage. Mm. And it also fills the need of touch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like learn your own love languages, right? So there are the five love languages. There's physical touch. There's words of affirmation. There's quality time. There's gifts. And Help me out with the last one, acts of service, acts of service. There it is. (laughs) So these are all the ways that we give and receive love to others. And like, what an incredible gift to practice these with yourself. What are words of affirmation that you can give to yourself? What are ways that you can praise yourself and encourage yourself? What are little gifts or trinkets you can give to yourself that would make you happy, that would make you smile? It doesn't have to be big and be like a a new journal or like, you know, like a, a nice pen that you can write with or whatever it happens to be. Something that makes you smile, that brings you joy, something, some sort of healthy food for your body. What are ways that you can spend quality time with yourself? Walk in nature, time and a date. What are acts of service you can give to yourself? You do, if you do so much for others, what's something that you can do as a ritual or just to be kind to you? All of these things that you give to others, wouldn't it be amazing if you could lavish them, shower them upon yourself and allow yourself to receive them? So beautiful. It's fun. It can be fun. It can be very new and weird and, and it can feel like almost selfish. Like, oh my gosh, I've, I, why shouldn't I be, I should be giving this to someone else. Like, I don't, I don't need to spend time on myself, but guess what? We're only able to give as much love to others as we're able to receive from ourselves. So the more love we're able to give to and receive to us, the more we're able to give and have received externally it's like the what is it you can <laughs> you can only give from like like give from your overflow mm, you know like yeah. can't give from an empty cup or stuff I, I don't know exactly what it is but <laughs> yeah you can't give from an empty cup you can't pour from an empty cup can't pour you, from an empty cup you're exhausted if you're drained and the thing is like to to piggyback on that analogy it's like find people who are like sponges you can pour into them and they can squeeze back into you and, you can, and so both of you are always like hydrated and filled and nourished and and like overflowing wow it's fun <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> possible it's a thing yeah i'm meeting people like that in montreal awesome i'm new here well it's been two years now but it took me a while to find my people you know yeah and i'm meeting those people that can give and receive Yes, that's and awesome. It Jennifer. is. It's just like it, it. You're right. It's sort of like it just kind of flows into each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some weird fucking love fountain. 
<laughs> yeah, it's pretty much be a love fountain and and surround yourself with other love fountains. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's been really good for me to to meet people that I can connect with. It's hard to find to to find community when you're you're new somewhere, especially as an adult. It can be. It can be. It takes a lot more effort. And so, how are ways that you found? Because again, like. As you grow, as you shift, as I became less codependent, I started losing friends. A lot of people dropped away because I realized in the past, I've attracted a lot of takers. Right. As an overgiver, I, I got surrounded by people who were like, yes, no problem. I'll keep dra- you know, taking from you and never give back or try and give back and you'll reject it. And I'm okay with that. And so as I have become healthier and set boundaries, people have gone. And I always am so grateful for people who choose to leave my life mm. or who I release from my life. Because that creates space for people who are better aligned in this new space. And I wouldn't have that space if people didn't go. So it's like, thank you. I love you. Goodbye. Onward. Yeah. Yeah. Here's to being a giver and attracting other givers. You know, there's just a quick question. In life, who do you think gets the most out of life? The givers, the takers, or the matchers? Matchers are people who give as much as they receive. Who give as much as they receive. Mm -hmm. That's a matcher. So who do you think gets the most out of life? Givers, takers, or matchers? And who do you think gets the least out of life? Well, takers get the least out of life. And the most? Oh, wait, maybe givers get the least out of life. This feels like a trick question. (laughs) It is, it is. And I don't appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) So the answer, Sean, just cut. The answer is givers. Givers are the ones who get the most out of life, and givers are the ones who get the least out of life. The givers who get the most out of life are the ones who have good boundaries clear boundaries. The givers who get the least out of life are the ones who don't have boundaries, who just give to the point where they're drained. So It's all about boundaries. Yeah, it really is. I can't wait. I'm going to do like a series of episodes, not even an episode, a series of them on boundaries. Yes, do it. Do it. We can never have enough of that. It's so important. So many of us are not taught that and so many of us are taught the exact opposite. Yeah. I'm reading two books right now with like really involved boundaries sections. Mm-hmm. Um, one called Loving Bravely by Alexander Solomon, doctor. Mm-hmm. And the other, uh, More Than Two by Franklin Vaux and Eve or Eva Rickards. Right. Hope I got that right. <laughs> I hope I got that right. <laughs> what are we not talking about that we should be in this conversation I guess one thing that I will add to something that we can do, anyone can do to connect more with themselves, codependent or not. I do a lot of inner child work Mm. in my therapy and my coaching. It's hard sometimes for us to be like, am I worthy of this love and kindness and care and attention now as an adult? And if we're not used to that, it can be really hard. But if we we think about a child or like an infant or the five or six-year-old, it's like, oh my goodness, this precious child, of course they deserve like kindness and tenderness and protection and care and love. And they are so worthy as they are. They don't need to do anything to be worthy of love. They just need to be. And guess what? Like that infant, that five, six, seven-year-old, that's still a part of who you are. And so if you can, if it's hard for you to connect with like me as an adult being worthy of this, like Find a picture of yourself at four, five, six years old. Look at little you. Have a conversation with yourself. You are precious. You are worthy. I will protect you. I'm sorry for all those times people didn't. I'm sorry for all those times I didn't. I can and I will. And I commit to doing that now. What do you need? How do you feel? And just listening. 
and seeing where that goes. I think that a lot of times we're looking outside of ourselves. Will this partner be a good parent for my inner child? Will this parent partner take good care of my inner child? Will this person? And it's like, guess what? That's up to you. Like this is work for you. And that's who your inner child wants and needs most. You as an adult now to see and to cherish and to love them. And I suspect that a lot of us don't talk so nicely to ourselves sometimes. Sure. My negative self-talk can be really can be really nasty sometimes. Yeah. And so look at that that photo. Mm-hmm. You know, a 5-year-old you and 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 think to yourself, would I say this to 5-year-old me? I love that. That's so powerful and so important. We can be our own worst critics. We can say things to ourselves we never say to our best friend, much less child. So the the beating yourself up emotionally, the criticizing yourself, the why am I such a, you know, whatever. Again, like you said, I love that. Looking at that picture of little you. Hey, it's okay. You know, people make mistakes. It's okay for you to mean it. We can learn from it. We're going to be okay. I love you. I forgive you. It's like, wow, if we could say that to ourselves. And so we can practice with like our little selves. I have a photo of me on the fridge when I was about five and I'm leaning on, I'm wearing acid washed jeans. Yes. I've got some big red boots. I've got a weird like headband thing and like an oversized red fleece jacket. And I'm leaning on a maple syrup bucket in Canada at like a, yeah. And I'm just leaning on it like a little (laughs) gangster, like a little maple syrup gangster. (laughs) That's pretty badass. I love that that is on your fridge and you should be communing with that little maple syrup badass. Yeah, it's a little gangster. It makes me happy. One thing I want to add when it comes to feelings, you know, and like sort of know thyself and feel the feelings instead of uh, distraction, distract Mm -hmm. from them. I spent a lot of 2018 kind of sad. And at one point I realized that that was okay. So I would go on walks with my dog and I would just be sad. And I would go, wow, what an interesting feeling. Mm. And this feeling will change, Mm -hmm. but gosh, it doesn't feel like it's about to anytime soon. And that's okay because that's where you're at. You know, feelings are like weather patterns. The clouds will come in and they may hang around for a while, but the sun's always going to come out again. And you need to let the feelings and the weather be as they are because forcing anything other than what is will make you sick, will cause more stress and harm and suffering in the long run. So I love that you let yourself be sad because your body whole is holding that and has held it for a long time. And when you allow it to move, that's the only way it can leave and create space for the joy that's ready to fill you up and that has been there but can't be felt because it's just dampened by all the sadness that needed to be felt and released. And so that's another thing that all of us can do, codependent or not, to really live a more joyful, vibrant, fully human life. Like feel what you feel and keep moving. Hmm. I was walking around with like the Charlie Brown song like in my head, you know? <laughs> a little rain cloud following you along. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, fuck, oh well, it'll change. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and it's, and it's okay if it doesn't just be like completely surrendering and letting go and being with what is the more we're like, okay, is it gone yet? Is it gone yet? Am I done yet? Am I done yet? It's like watching, you know, hoping that water boils faster than it can. It will boil when it's ready. Your sadness will move when it's ready and allowing it to move as fully and as deeply as you need to. And not to overthink it. Like I, there have been times in my work where I've been driving and all of a sudden, like I just start tearing up. I have to pull over and I'm like, Ooh, there's something that's coming up. And I don't need to know why. Cause the brain's like, why is this happening? Let's analyze like what is causing this pain or whatever. And it's like, guess what? It doesn't matter. You don't need to know to understand. A lot of times I can bring you back up into your head and take you away from the feeling. So if you can do your best to not judge it, not overanalyze it, not overthink it, to just allow it, you're like, ah, sadness is here. Welcome sadness. Hey. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, welcome back. Welcome. Like you're always welcome here. Do you have any messages for me? No? You just want to be heard? Cool. We can do that. Do you want me to throw a sad song on to make it extra sad? I can also <laughs> do that. No problem. What else do you need, sadness? Tell me. <laughs> yeah, just just be with it. Just be with it. Because I always I like to say that like emotions are like the rainbow of like, the human soul. Mm need to allow yourself access to all of them the, the ones that are not as acceptable by society fear jealousy anger grief sadness worry and also that will allow you to access deeper levels of joy happiness gratitude all of that stuff mm-hmm. so yeah feel your feelings keep moving set good boundaries and love on yourself Oh, wow. Yeah. Way to just like succinctly put it all together. (laughs) Uh, I have two more questions for you. Yeah. This is a new question. I've never asked it before. Mm. Uh, What is a way in which your life has turned out differently than you thought it would? Mm. For a long time, I thought that finding a healthy love partnership was not possible for me. For a long time, I believed that I was too broken, I was too damaged, I was too stuck in old patterning, and that I was too much to ever be able to be seen and loved as I am by another. And committing to doing this work, committing to recovery from codependency, committing to loving and caring for myself, has yielded incredible and completely unexpected gifts. And there's a point in my life this year where I was like, I do not want a relationship right now. I, that is the last thing I want. I'm all about like the self-love train that I'm on and like, it's going great. And like, I just don't want anything to take me off of this or to derail me from this thinking, you know, at the time that a, that a love partner might derail me from love for myself. Cause that's what's happened in the past. And I am now in the most extraordinary, equal, loving, respectful, mutually honoring and cherishing and revering like partnership. I did not know this was possible. The communication is phenomenal. The mutual respect is phenomenal. The mutual commitment to growth and each other's greatness is incredible. None of this would, I wouldn't be able to see them. They wouldn't be able to see me if, if I had not committed my life and continue to commit my life to this work. So that's my answer, Sean. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. 
it's a thing. That's a good one. Thanks. You ready for, there's actually, there's a, this is a second to last question. Okay, bring it. One of the questions that I get often when I give free love advice that always stumps me, and I feel that I should have a better answer for by now, <laughs> what is love? For me, love is freedom and growth. Freedom and growth. For me, love is not trying to fit ourselves into a box of what is expected or what the Disney movies tell us or what society tells us or what culture tells us. Love is a commitment to each other's freedom to be themselves in every way to grow and to shift and to evolve and to create the way that we are meant to on this planet and to support each other from a place of non-attachment to any outcome like this i I, i'm not with this person so i'm like you and i were together forever and that's how it's going to be and it's going to look like this because if you if you're if you're like it has to look like this it could never look like anything else Mm. and so i love loving into the unknown i don't know what this will look like tomorrow a year from now 10 years from now i don't need to all i can do is keep being myself now, choosing you now, choosing us now, and encouraging and supporting each other now. Loving into the unknown. Yeah. Ivy Kwong, everybody, you heard it here first. <laughs> That's a fucking t-shirt right there. <laughs> wow. Beautiful. Hmm. Where can we find you? Um, you can find me at Bear Ivy on Instagram, B-A-R-E-I-V-Y, like bear your soul. Um, I'm at bearivy.com. That's my website. And Bear Ivy also on like Twitter. I I think I got all the Bear Ivy handles and I decided this is going to be my thing. So just Bear Ivy. (laughs) Google it, I'll come up. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate this conversation. It was a joy. The Love Drive is lovingly produced by me, Sean Galanos, with the help from Guilford Street Studios. Go to thelovedrive.com to find out more about me or to get the show notes for this episode. And join me on Instagram at The Love Drive. Every Friday, I give free love advice in the Insta stories. So you can send me a question and I'll do my goddamn best to answer it. Thank you so much for listening. It really means the world to me. Have a beautiful week. 